Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the big interview with Graham Hunter. It's our final Q&A show of the season, which means that I get to welcome Pete Jensen, our special guest for the show from La Liga Television, and the host of the big interview, Graham Hunter, for the final time. We are recording this in the build-up to the Champions League final, which takes place this weekend in Paris between Liverpool and Real Madrid. And in this part one of our show, we asked our socios, at patreon.com forward slash Hunter to send in their questions about that game. So without further ado, gentlemen, let's get cracking. Our first question comes from socio Tom Lee. Who says Kamavinga produced an astonishing contribution off the bench in the second leg versus Man City? Does Carlo Ancelotti dare leave him out, especially noting his energy and hard running of the starting 11 in Paris? Um, actually, I'm going to link this up to another question I have down here from Mark Allen, who asks, how many of the young players will start for Madrid in what could be the final final for some of the multiple winners in the squad? Militao, Vinicius, Rodrigo, Valverde, Camavinga, if you were in Carlos' shoes, who would be in your 11? Graham, I'm going to start this one with you for the good reason that we have just published an audio version of your most recent column for ESPN FC in which you link the, the non-signing of Kylian Mbappe with maybe the development or the reliance, or maybe both, um, of the new Madrid recruitment system, which focuses on the identification of players like these guys. So maybe we start with Camavinga. Maybe you want to land on one of the other names. Maybe you want to go to sort of 30,000 feet and talk about the whole thing, as you did in your excellent column, which is available on this feed. But... If you were Carlo Ancelotti, how much would you view this as a, a, an opportunity to? Well, the, the, the first thing I'll say is that I think Pete is a is an equal fascination for um, Juni Califat, who I'm pretty sure was baptized Jose Antonio Califat de Sousa. And the reason you mentioned that is that the last time Madrid were embarrassed in the way that Mbappe has embarrassed them, it was over Neymar. There were different reasons for it, but. They were equally sure that they had him. They put an equally determined attempt to get him. They'd attracted him to the training ground as a youngster, just as they had as they had with Mbappe. And the strike back from the embarrassment was pretty impressive because Juni Califat was employed about six or seven months after Neymar turned Madrid down and went to Barcelona. And Florentino's fury 
let him say, give me the next Vinicius and then the next one after that. And Calafat was so successful that he not only authored the signing of, and he's now an executive, so it's it's not going to be him necessarily schlepping every single mile on the trail across Poland and Portugal and Paraguay, but it it is his team. It it all happens under his auspices. He is definitely the gatekeeper about whether young talent meets the the criteria to fit in in a, in a global empire like Real Madrid and. His name is tied to Vinicius, <clears throat> who shares a 100-goal partnership with Benzema this season as part of the reason that Madrid are in the final this Saturday where we were being asked about the lineup. His name is on Rodrigo, who <clears throat> came off the bench so often. I think majority rather than starting, but the first start I saw Rodrigo have was against Galatasaray at Bernabeu, where he scored the perfect hat-trick. In order, I think it was right foot, head or left foot. Um, and Rodrigo's impact um, this season, both in the league, but particularly in the Champions League, has been absolutely extraordinary. He's, he's by no means a David Fairclough, for those who remember. Super sub proposition anymore. There's a genuine debate about how often he should start, whether he'll start when they sign more players this summer. But it, it, that's a proper debate, not like his only impact is off the bench. That Nobody's stupid enough to say that now. And Califat's signature is is on Valverde just as it is on Camavinga because he was promoted from head of Brazilian scouting to head of South American scouting. He's now effectively the the, the blue ribbon guy for all of um, what has become Florentino Perez's conviction that the only way that Real Madrid can properly compete with state-run clubs and, and endless funds is to, to try and invert or, or vault fast the Galactico policy and, and make it similar in every aspect except for buying unknowns, buying cheaply, buying youth, which is an incredibly um, quixotic uh, business to be in. But it takes us to our, our two um, social questions. Now, um, I would anticipate that unless there's a training ground accident, you know, which happens, you know, if, when the tackles go flying in, uh, even just accidental bumps and bruises, if there aren't any of those before kickoff at Saint Denis on Saturday evening, I think all of us, all four of you, every socio, and definitely Pete, could could right now name ten of the eleven, and um, that would be Courtois, Carvajal, not Lucas, uh, but Carvajal, um, Militao and Alaba, Mondi, in the midfield trio of Modric, Casemiro, Cruz. Vinicius and Benson, and then an argument between Valverde and, and Rodrigo. And my opinion is that if Ancelotti thinks that Liverpool might be at their most intense, it's probably Valverde with Rodrigo coming on. If Ancelotti thinks that Rodrigo has earned his spurs to start from the scrap, from the kickoff, and, he, and if he thinks that Liverpool are a bit physically and mentally drained and debilitated by what they've been through this season and potentially by the absence of Thiago, then he might opt for Rodrigo. And I think that's at the heart of the the question. I don't believe that Camavinga starts. I think that given it, that he this is his first season at Real Madrid, that he's only 19, and given that he, he does have an extraordinary impact of how to use space, how to... When, when we have adopted this term we've all adopted the, the term broken game when the the rigor and the synchronization and the and the planning of, of pre-match strategies 
have become smashed because of cards or tiredness or an overzealous referee. Broken games lead to clever players exploiting spaces they've seen emerging while they're on the bench. Camavinga's very good at that. So truthfully, I think that the only player from that really young bracket um, of footballers at Real Madrid, the only player that's got a chance of starting is Rodrigo. And given that Ancelotti is often quite conservative, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that he does. Valverde's relatively young at 22 or 23, I forget which it is, but, but has got all the experience you need for a club and country in his pocket to, to count as, you know, not an emerging kid. And and Neil, I'm not cutting straight to Pete, but Pete's got a, a very good sense of taste and smell about what's happening around the camp, particularly Real Madrid. And I'll be shocked if you see it wildly differently from me. Yeah, I think I think Graham's right. Um Valverde will probably be the only starter. Um, I, I was at um, Valdebebas yesterday and it was a rare um, opportunity to actually watch training and they are all absolutely 100%, even Alava. I mean, Alava looks, uh, looks like it's the start of the season, not the end of the season or certainly in the session that we saw. So he's got the, he's got the full squad to pick from. Actually, um, Eden Hazard looks in, in top condition as well, which is, which is not to say a start. Of course, he won't. But... Um, uh, it was enough to suggest that you know he can't be ruled out for playing a part late on in the game. Um, I think a coach that thinks more about the opposition um, and more about um, changing the team according to the game would consider starting Camavinga ahead of Tony Cruz because because Liverpool's greatest threat is provided from the fullbacks um, Robertson and, and Alexander Arnold and and to have. Um, both Camavinga and Valverde in the starting lineup, so that when you then don't have the ball, those are the two players who are in front of the fullbacks to protect them from the the rampaging fullbacks that, that, that are running at you from Liverpool. Is something that he would that, that, that he would consider. But Ancelotti is not that coach, um, and one of the reasons the players love Ancelotti is because he 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 values hierarchy so much, and and the hierarchy says that Cruz, Modric, and, and Casemiro a million percent start the game. And then, as Graham says, it's a choice between Valverde and Rodrigo, and it does look as if it's going to be Valverde. So, you know, there, there aren't going to be any surprises. Um, um, I love Camavinga. I think he's he's had a, an incredible impact. I think Madrid were were clever um, last summer, and not a lot has been said about the fact that they actually nipped in ahead of PSG because PSG wanted Camavinga, but PSG wanted to wait a year. Um, and and while Madrid were we're making that 200 million euros bid for Mbappe, which I still have my doubts about. I, I think it was it was a bid made because they because the club making it knew it would be turned down. I, I'm not sure that that they had the the money at the time to, for it to come off. But while all that was going on um, under the table, um, um, Camavinga was was being signed, um, and I think he's been excellent this season. Um, possibly could have played even more. And, and will be huge going forward for Real Madrid. And, and that's a victory over PSG that, that they haven't trumpeted much in a week when it's been all about how, how PSG have, um, uh, have, beaten them, have beaten them to the signature of Mbappe. So he'll play a part, as will Rodrigo. The benches will be, will be very, very important. And, and those two, as they were, as they, as they were in, the, you know, in the knockout rounds, will, will be crucial. But um, I think Ancelotti's pretty much decided and it will be Valverde starts and Camavinga and Rodrigo will, will start on the bench. Neil, I know we've a lot to get through. Just a small point that, that appealed to my mind. In the, in the City game, although 
Rodrigo and, 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 and Benzema probably were the, the focal points of the, the heroism, particularly the way that Benzema lays it back on Rodrigo's toe for um, the first Madrid goal in the, 89, 90, in the 90th minute. Two, two things come to my mind. Camavinga makes the, the ball across to, to Benzema that he clips back for Rodrigo off his left foot, which I think I think slightly would be considered his, his less agile foot. And it's a beautiful ball. Okay, Benzema has to work really hard for it. But that's Camavinga answering the call there and then. And still more appealing to my eye was the fact that I'm certain this is for the for the penalty. He carries the ball forward, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's it, Pete. But do you remember, Courtois got the ball in his hand and he sees Camavinga running across the pitch and he waits. Courtois, you know, one of the hierarchy. that he, I love the way you, you call that because he, he's... he's Ancelotti's not necessarily a slave to the hierarchy and enthralled to them. It's the, like he respects it and he, he puts he keeps it in place, but in order to earn mutual respect rather than them thinking, as uh, I believe Messi and Suarez and Piquet thought at Barcelona, well, we actually we are the bosses. Ancelotti's never gone over to that side, but the hierarchy, and Courtois is, is, a, is a principal part of it, Courtois has the ball in his hand and waits because he sees Camavinga making a left to... A, a, you know, a horizontal run from left to right into space saying, give me the ball. City haven't got anybody who's either able to or interested in, in running with him. And then, as you say, off he goes down the right channel and, and eventually that will lead to, to the penalty. But if you can transplant, you know, that moment, I don't know what the score will be, but say late in the game, whether it's late in natural time or late in extra time, Liverpool's midfield... Is, is is pretty powerful, pretty extraordinary, but it's also got a decent age on it. And that Camavinga movement and the ability of Premier League footballers who have bust their bollocks all season, that's a big element, I think, in any leading English team coming to practically a summer final in heat, you know, when it's, when it's baking, when, you know, character and strategy and skill can pull you through. But that type of Camavinga movement and the fact that the big boys, the big guns around him already fully trust him, now fully trust Rodrigo and Vinicius, these are elements that, that help elevate the, the youngsters, I think. OK, before we move on, I would like to point out um, that I remember, I think, at the end of the summer market last, last year, Pete, you landing on that Camavinga signing and, and sort of spending some time on it and saying that you thought this was going to be the sort of hidden one that, that tends in to be the, the big winner for Madrid. Um, so kudos to you. Um, it's nice to see, nice to see that he's come through so fast in his first season when that's probably not where Madrid put their chips. We'll move on to our first question from our sponsors at Bet365, who asked what motivates and drives Madrid year after year in the Champions League. I'm not sure how easy it's going to be to, to put that kind of magic in a bottle. And it's kind of been a few different iterations of the, the team that have done so well for so long in this tournament. What changes, Pete, let's start with you, what changes, you know, season to season when they hear that music um, and it's not always going great as well as it had done this season in La Liga and they just seem to find something different. I mean, it's woven into the fabric of that club, right? Yeah, it's just the history, isn't it? You know, I mean, I think when you join the club, you, you're made immediately aware of, well, you're already aware of the, of the history. And you know it, it is their competition. You, you, it's, it's undeniable. They've won it. They've won it thirteen times. 
and sometimes they they don't take the, the domestic competition as seriously as as other clubs do. And if you saw the way that City Manchester City celebrated the Premier League, you get a kind of feeling for how important it is to win the Premier League in England. Whereas in Spain, you know, you can quite comfortably, as a Real Madrid coach, and it's happened, um, I think, more than once in the past, win the league and lose your job because you didn't do the, the business in the Champions League. Um, um, you know, it's where it's where the world is watching, and, and that's why it's it's so important to them. Yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful question, and, and Pete, I don't know if you feel the same, but Neil and Martin, you've sat through so many, you've, to, you've tolerated some of the many of the interviews we've had to do in this series, and and whenever we've been at Manchester United, or when we've spoken to an ex-Manchester United player, they didn't into you the way in which. As a player arrived, the hierarchy again, the big boys, smashed into them. This is how we behave, this is how we train, and this is what we're here for. And three quarters of the manager's job in terms of man management is already done. It's passed on by by word and by deed. And I think that if any of us have worked in an environment whereby you're driven by, you get your wage, but you're driven by respect. And you look around, you, you go, look at those people. Look what brought them here. Look what's kept them here. Look at the standards I'm in. Most people in their working lives, men or women, don't get that. But there will be some listening, and it applies to some of us, whereby you're, you're driven by inspiration. You're driven by saying, I want to be like them. I see those standards. I, I, I understand those objectives, those goals. And, and Talking about those standards, Graham, um, uh, Kamavinga did an interview with um, Lakeith and he spoke about, he, he was sort of puzzled and, and he kind of clicked and got it immediately after they won the Super Cup in January that, that no one really celebrated. You know, they won that four-team tournament and it's like, well, you know, that's what we do, but that's not really important. So that, you know, that we talk about standards and how that's pumped into you when you arrive. You know, that was a great example of that. Sorry. No, no, it's, I'm glad that, because I hadn't read that, and I'm glad you can back up the concept. And maybe that thing you're talking about explains why, although Kamavinga was, was broken in because of two years playing since a 16-year-old in League One for Wren in midfield, which is a hard shift, that's part of how quickly he's adapted. But, but pre- presumably the induction is a very, very um, important reason why he's been able to assume the mantle. And, and the other thing that I would throw in too is, again, this is a, a maybe slightly intangible, maybe slightly negligible, uh, intangible. But when... I, I once read a book that was published in the late 60s and it was published by... It, it, in, in, in theory, it was, it was by... Santiago Bernabeu it had clearly been ghostwritten and it would be ghostwritten in English and it's a brilliant little hardback book and, and it tried to explain the Real Madrid philosophy published originally in English clearly in an attempt to, to spread the, the Real Madrid gospel and even then to try and stamp their badge stamp their persona around the world and if you look at how they, how they began the, the 50s although uh, uh, clearly a lot of people credit Le Keep with the foundation of the European Cup, Real Madrid were the front runners of saying a European competition. And they existed under a dictatorship, which wasn't necessarily ultra-friendly to them. And certainly during the Civil War, Real Madrid suffered 
maybe more than the majority of clubs. And people have a misapprehension that Franco was a Real Madrid fan. I, I think it's pretty much proven that that's not the case, but it, it was a, more of a state club against some of the rebel regions. And during the, the peak years of his reign, Real Madrid were out uh, and signing foreign footballers and saying, we're open to the world. We're open to other cultural influences. And although victory is a great spur and, you know, lifting trophies is, is, is a great adrenaline to, to daring, they, in, in that sense, they were an outward-looking club at that time. And, and I think that either in famine or feast in the many years, which it must be 70-odd years, since that, that personality has never left the idea of those who run the club. And when they weren't winning, you, Neil, you said, how does it happen in the years when they, they, they go well or they lift the Champions League when it's going badly in, uh, domestically? There was the reverse case for a lot of time when, when the four of us were young, um, when they were, they were pretty good, pretty dominant domestically, but they couldn't win that. I don't know, what was their last European Cup? The last European Cup was probably 65 or 66, I can't remember which it was, until 98 in, in Amsterdam when Mijatovic scores. And it became a fabled quest. It became literally the, the Ark of the Covenant. And they were as obsessed while not winning it as they are now about repeat winning it. And, and I, I did think it's, you know, Pete said history, and that's patently right, but it, it, it's kind of like a blend of history and, and, and handed down culture. And that handed down culture as we see at Manchester United now, when it's smashed, when you lose it, which I think is, 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 is the, the brain worm for Florentino right now. There's no prospect of Florentino selling out or a foreign power buying Real Madrid. And, and his, his verbiage at the moment is, like, we can't compete financially. Well, you know, there's been many years when nobody's been able to compete. I mean, around Europe, not just in, in, in Spain, been able to compete with Real Madrid's financial power. So, you know, the biter is bit. But deep down, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, the thing that I think makes hardline Real Madrid socios and a hardline Real Madrid man like Florentino fear is, what happens if, we, if there ever comes a situation where... You know, we, we do run out of money or we are in trouble and, and, and this club were bought by outsiders. And so I think that the smashing of that culture, the change of that culture, as we've witnessed, can happen at Manchester United and, and not only be, be removed but robbed and there'd be no prospect of it coming back. That, that's something that spurs this club on almost whoever is working for it, I think. Thank you both. And more on Manchester United and the disintegration of that club's culture in part two of the Q&A. And we're going to take a quick break now, more soon. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And we're back with a question from Sir Matthew Burns, who asks, does Jordan Henderson have a greater Liverpool captain's legacy than Steven Gerrard? Um, looks very, well, looks almost unavoidable that Jordan Henderson will start um, the final if Thiago's uh, Achilles injury keeps him out, as it looks kind of odds on that it will at this point. Uh, Fabinho didn't play at the weekend, although he has been training. Um, but it looks like they will rely on, on their captains to anchor that midfield. But next to uh, the almighty Stephen Gerrard, Graham? Um, it's a shrewd question because clearly for some of his great years, Stephen Gerrard wasn't captain. And, you know, if you applied the, the boxer's idea of pound for pound, because I, I often use this phrase, but it's because I mean it. If we had Stephen Gerrard and Jordan Henderson on the on the interview right now with us, Gerrard would be eulogising, would be waxing lyrical about Jordan Henderson's impact and his behaviour and his leadership and the way in which he clicked, has clicked, always with Klopp and in terms of legacy if you think about was there always complete synchronisation between Steven Gerrard and his his principal manager which I think despite Ullier would have to or Brendan would have to be um, Rafa Benitez that click wasn't there and I don't think that Matthew's question says which was the better footballer so that has to be discarded in the in the emotional intelligence of trying to answer the question properly and I think that there's a case I think it's a smartly put question but I think if you um, some of the, the measuring unit has to be about with Jordan Henderson as a leader they've won the Premier League which they didn't 
under the various managers that Stephen Gerrard was captain for. But I, I won't ever really truly be able to look past um, we're recording on the I think the what what anniversary? 17th anniversary of Istanbul, is that right? And for Liverpool to be um, 3-0 down at half time to the most glorious, the most gorgeous looking Milan side who were toying with them and then for Steven Gerrard to, to do what he did as captain that night doesn't win him the argument all on its own but if you pile up all the other pound for pound arguments and, and, you, and you, you think of that night I think Steven Gerrard would be a hard man to beat by almost any Liverpool captain because his role in the goals and the penalty shootout and the belief of the side doing something that I still think ranks as... You know, I, I don't know how to separate that in the camp now in 1999, but it ranks as one of the the two greatest comebacks of all time. So... I think pound for pound, it's maybe still Stephen Gerrard. I think, and and not just Istanbul, but if you think about the two thousand and six FA Cup final when Liverpool beat West Ham on penalties, and and Gerrard scores, you know, two goals that are the the, the second to equalise in what was it ninety two minutes. Then he scores his penalty in the in the shootout. Um, you know, there aren't enough um, Jordan Henderson versions of Liverpool West Ham and. And, and and Liverpool Milan really for, for I think for the comparison to be to be taken that seriously and also I mean if Gerard was was obviously there for a long long time and, and the teams changed but if you look at the team that, that, that won that final against West Ham there, there weren't too many players in it who would get into this Liverpool side I mean they had Crouch and Sisse up front um, and two fine footballers and Crouch in particular I'm a big fan of and underrated by by many people. But you know that they they wouldn't have got into the current Liverpool forward line, and um, you know Chabi Alonso might have had a, had a had a decent chance of, of starting in midfield. But um, so you can make the argument that that Henderson has 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 had a different captain's role because he's been surrounded by better players, by a better manager. Um, and in terms of winning the title, and, and obviously that was something Gerard wasn't able to do. Then you know you have a, you have half an argument there, but. Gerard is Gerard is the he's the Liverpool captain. Yeah, those games, you know, the the West Ham final and, and Istanbul, is kind of Michael Jordan moments really when he puts the entire organisation on his back and says this is the way we're going. You can't really imagine Jordan for all that he's absorbed in the way that you were describing um, about Madrid, Pete. For all that he's absorbed and, and kind of personified at times some of the culture of Liverpool, you know, as a as an as an institution as a club. And of course, someone that Manchester United didn't want, you know, because he yeah he ran funny. So that, that that adds to it, doesn't it? To make make him even more of a Liverpool legend. We have one more question in this part of the Q and A. Um, it kind of spins off your mention of um, Hazard, actually, Pete, which is quite exciting from my point of view because I hadn't really even thought about seeing him on the pitch. Uh, Session Mike Lynn says, "Will or should Gareth Bale get any game time?" On Saturday, and do you think this will be how his career ends, or will he sign for another club? Um, did you did you see him? But I mean, you said you were watching training. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 uh, he, he looked great. Um, um, 
certainly physically looks fine. Um, it was interesting. Uh, I was talking to to Sid Lowe watching training yesterday, and he was saying about how he's been pitch side a couple of times this season, and and he's seen that that Gareth wears a like a weightlifter's belt, not not as heavy, not as heavier version of, but a, a kind of lighter version of a weightlifter's belt. So you know, we joke. Certainly, I do about the you know the, the back spasm he has when he's when he's included in the squad to go to Manchester or whatever, but um, he knows he's not going to get on the pitch. Um, but there's clearly a serious problem there that that, that is limiting him physically. Um, but at the moment, he seems fine. He's not going to get on the pitch, I don't think. Um, I, I mean, there's even an, there's even a possibility that he won't be on the plane. I think he probably will. I think he will be. He'll go to to the final, and and he should do. I was watching last night, in fact, the the video, uh, the, sorry, the film that Remage had made about the Kiev final. I mean, it's a, it's a club made video, so obviously it's it's not warts and all. And there are no warts at all. Um, and we know there were a lot of warts that night because, of course, Ronaldo immediately after the, the victory said that he was leaving, which completely changed the narrative of the night. And everyone stopped talking about Bale's brilliant contribution to them to them winning their 13th Champions League. And all the questions were about, what do you think about Ronaldo leaving? Uh, which was which was kind of harsh on, on, on Gareth. And, and, and in the film, there's a great shot of him in the corner of the dressing room, pretty much all on his own. And he's talking on his phone to a, to a member of his family and... Um, Varane is being interviewed um, for the film and he kind of looks across at him and says he's, he's an extraterrestrial. How can he do that? Should, should, that sort of thing should be banned. So much power. And it was an incredible goal and it was an incredible contribution on the night. And, you know, it was for a manager that didn't like him. Um, you know, Zidane wanted him sold um, and he wanted Ronaldo to stay. Florentino wanted the complete opposite. And Florentino Perez watching from his seat um, in the Olympic Stadium in Kiev delighted not just that Madrid had won the, the trophy but that Bale had been the hero and was more determined than ever to, to keep Bale and to sell Ronaldo and of course five days later Zidane knowing that the, the player he wants to stay is going and the player that he wants to go is staying uh, quits so um, so Bale's contribution to Real Madrid's Champions League recent history has been huge uh, it shouldn't be forgotten how good he was in the second of the two finals against Atletico Madrid including when he hobbles up to the penalty spot to, to take and score his, his, his kick in the, in the shootout. And, of course, his contribution as well in the, in the first game between those two teams. Apart from the Cardiff final, he had a big role in all, the, in all of the four finals. Uh, so he probably will travel. It's unlikely he'll get on. Uh, you, can't, you can see so many more options before Ancelotti turns to bail. But I hope that um, if Madrid win, he plays a part in the celebrations in the way you remember when um, it's not the same, obviously, but you remember the way this season when Atletico Madrid not Manchester United out of the out of the Champions League and Luis Suarez, who knew he was now just a bit part player, took full part in the celebrations in front of the supporters. And it will be nice to think that that will happen um, because um, you know what he's done, win- winning more trophies than any other uh, British player abroad. Um, you know, is it, fantastic and and. If he's just involved in that way in the last game in a Ramadan shirt. Now, in terms of what's going to happen to him in the future, um, if it, if Wales don't qualify for the World Cup, he'll retire. No question about it. Um, if they qualify, he has a problem. He needs to be playing somewhere. I don't think he wants to go back to the UK. Um, there was a story on Spanish radio this week that he'd been offered to Atletico Madrid and Atletico Madrid had said, no, we don't want him. Bale's agent says that that's nonsense. It's, it's not true at all. I'd love to see him pop up somewhere in La Liga and do a term for a club. 
but uh, as I say, if Wales don't make it to the tournament, then he'll he'll be out on the golf course, um, you know, before you can say Qatar 2022. Mike, I have to be deeply respectful of, you know, Pete's on here, not just because he's a brilliant communicator, but because he knows things. He's extremely uh, wise and smart. And when you get his point of view as, as bullet strong as that, you, you best strap on your, your body armour if you... You don't see things precisely his way. And my question was getting on the pitch or playing a part, right? Football's an ultra-pragmatic, ultra-pragmatic sport. And I suppose NFL and um, and basketball and tennis fans would say, well, so's ours. Fine. But I think if the given the you know the tide is the tide is heavily against uh, Gareth uh, Canute uh, in that there are other solutions. There's very few people in the Real Madrid entourage would actively want Bale to 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 have a a chance of a start because of the way that the relationship is broken down. Where how soon he's going to leave? Uh, I think his physical condition right now has to be taken seriously, and it's it's just as well he, he doesn't play golf. You know, a lot outside his football work. Otherwise, that might be jeopardising his <clears throat> his skeletal well being. Gareth, are you listening? Um, anybody who claims that his obsession with golf hasn't been a deterrent to him fulfilling his athletic supremacy for longer at Real Madrid, I, I think is kidding themselves. But if there was a if 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 Ancelotti believed. There was any chance of Gareth Bale winning them the final or influencing the final, then he would certainly be prepared to stand against the president and say, "Like, I only care about winning this." It's just that, as Pete describes, probably at the moment there is the Ancelotti's words the other day was when Bale wasn't in the squad was like, "Well, it's not that he's you know he's he scratched himself from available. He can't move." And fair enough, if that's what's going on recently, then fair enough. I, my feelings about him are slightly akin to my feelings about Mourinho in that, I use the expression, I'd like to be able to respect him more. <clears throat> Both of their achievements making the comparison um, are, are, are genuinely outstanding. They elevate them. And I spent the first half of Bale's time at Madrid on radio and in print attacking those who detracted him, attacking those who weren't paying proper attention to him, defending his achievements and his attitudes. And I feel differently now. I feel that without being on an attack or being critical, I think he's a bit of a baby. I don't think he's particularly mature. I think he's been gifted with two sets of personality traits that are diametrically opposed. I I don't think that he's um, constructed properly you know in, in emotional mentality to handle the literally extraordinary sporting gifts that he's been given does he have the, the mentality to rise to big occasions <laughs> that's, that's just beyond dispute and as John Lydon sang anger is an energy and in Kiev he was fucking furious as he was in Cardiff when he wasn't given any meaningful participation in you know in his kind of home Homecoming with the trophy at night, um, but his ability to 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 be to be that hard nosed footballer that dug in and said, 
do you know what's important to me is is playing, participating, competing every week, winning every week, over and above the other things that afflict us, that make us sad or make us feel betrayed or make us feel let down. Footballers that, that we meet week in, week out, the ones that make, make us respect them, are brutally hard, really relentlessly hard people. Doesn't always make them very lovable to know. It sometimes means that their proper personalities only flower when they're 34, 35 and they're beginning to you know, leave the, the, the thrusters behind and just become a space pod. And, you know, Gareth Bale divides my emotions and Mike's question is, does he play, does he feature? You'd think probably not, but, you know, is it feasible given how he played for Wales recently? that if Ancelotti were to suddenly relent and put him on the bench and put him on his third change again in a broken game is it impossible that he cracks home a free kick or a volley from open play or beats somebody for a header at a corner it's entirely feasible but one I don't think he's necessary I do believe the, 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 the physical troubles he's having right now two I you know I, I hope Pete's wish is fulfilled that, that if they win it that he gets his chance to be um thanked by the fan base that he gets a chance to feel part of this one albeit this has been his the worst season of his professional career in, in, emotionally in, in terms of fulfilment and achievement but well he divides my uh, divides my feelings okay thanks guys that wraps it up for this first part of the Q&A um, Gareth Bale I know Gareth Bale enjoyed the Champions League final um, on Saturday and we'll be back shortly afterwards with the second part of the show 